0: All right. Well, we are continuing our series, God of the Underdogs. And, uh, you know, last week we kind of introed what an underdog was and, 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 and saying that, you know, a little piece in all of us want an underdog to win. Right? I mean, we all want underdogs to win. We talked about some of the, the biggest underdog stories in sports last week. We talked about Buster Douglas defeating Tyson we talked about the miracle on ice and just about how, you know, sometimes it, 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 it's, it's, it, it could even be, uh, you know, a situation where, like, we borderline like the team that is the favorite, but, like, we want the underdog just to win because of the odds. It just, and I think the, the reason being is, is because, for one, it lets us know that there's still hope, right? That even if the one that has absolutely no chance does the unthinkable, and upsets uh, the favorite, it it gives us this hope. And I also think that another reason that we want underdogs to win is because we are all underdogs. If we're to look on the inside, I think that we could all label ourselves as underdogs. You know, maybe when you look in the mirror, you see any number of, of excuses as to why you couldn't or should not be the one who accomplishes something great. And so throughout this series, the series is is just an encouragement for us to rise up. The 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 underdog inside of us, the underdog that we are, for it to rise up and to face these excuses head on that maybe we have told ourselves time and time again the reason why we can't or should not do something. It's time for us to rise up, face those excuses, get over those excuses, and move full speed ahead in the direction of our dreams and our destinies you see every person that God chose to use in a great way in the Bible was an underdog every person God used had a justifiable excuse for why he or she could not or should not be used by God to accomplish the great things that God had called them to accomplish and so that's where the series is for these next several weeks as we're looking at some of the underdogs in the Bible and we're looking at the excuse that they could have or should have had as to why they weren't able to accomplish what it was that God had called them to. So last week we talked about David and we talked about the excuse that he could have had was is that I'm not qualified. And we talked about the fact that you know Israel had cried out for a king God finally said, okay, have it your way. Do it the way that you want. We'll give you a king. And so that's what they did. And so Saul comes onto the scene, right? And he's head and shoulders above everybody else, looks the part. He actually does uh, really well in the first part of his, of, of his kingship. And then all of a sudden, he gets a big head. He gets an ego about himself. And then he starts doing things his way. God had enough of it. And he tore the kingship away from Saul And then that's when he anointed David. But when Samuel went to Jesse's house, who was David's father, to anoint one of his son's king, David's father didn't even think highly enough of him to put him into the roll call. And so he just left him in the fields to tend the sheep because he didn't think David was qualified, and yet that was the one that God chose. Well, this week we're going to look at Paul. Paul in the New Testament. The one that uh, is, is given credit for writing two-thirds of the New Testament. Right? Paul. And, 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 and I think so many times in, in, the, in the Christian world, when we think about Paul, we think about him post his encounter with Jesus. We, we think about the Paul that did write two-thirds of the New Testament. We think of Paul, the one who gave us some of the, the most famous verses that we quote. Such as, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I mean, these are some of the verses that he penned. He penned the armor of God. He penned, uh, uh, the, the, you know, all these books Ephesians, Galatians, uh, Colossians, Romans, Corinthians. I mean, like, these are letters that Paul wrote. So that's what we think of Paul. But can I tell you that he was an underdog? Because he had a past. A past that could have very well disqualified him. In fact, as we begin to unpack what his past looked like, you're going to be thinking, so you mean to tell me this is the guy that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament? Yeah, that guy. You see, Paul's past, like any of us, was a big part of who he was. Wouldn't you say that's true for you? Your past is a big part of who you are? I mean, here, let's face it. The past, you can try to forget your past all you want, but it's still there, right? You can't run away from your past. You can't change your past. What your past is, is it is. It just is. You know, I mean, I'm sure there's uh, some of us in here that regret some things from the past, that wish some things in the past weren't there, but the faith, but, but the, 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 the truth that we have to face is the fact that it's always there. It is a part of who you are. And so Paul's past is a part of who he was, so much so that he shares this story multiple times in Scripture. Luke records him telling his story of the past three times in the book of Acts. Acts 9, Acts 22, and Acts 26. Now we're going to focus in on Acts 26. So this lets us know that Paul's past was a big part of who he was. The fact that he was willing to say it in in, in different contexts, three different times, I mean, anything that is written multiple times in Scripture is obviously important. And so the fact that we have Paul's past written about three times means that it's important, means that there's something there that we can gain. And so we're going to focus in on Acts 26. Now let me give you some background as to where we are when we show up here in Acts 26. Now Paul has been apprehended because he's preaching the message of Jesus. So he's been arrested. For preaching the message of Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but if I know that I'm going to get arrested for something, I try not to do that. Right? I mean, like, none of you are going, at least I hope not. Now, I don't want to speak for all of you. But none of us are leaving today going, man, I want to get arrested. So let me just go do something to get arrested, right? But see, for Paul, that was the message of Christ. And he was willing to be arrested for it. He was willing to get beat for it. He was willing to stay in trial for it. He was willing to be persecuted for it. Why? Because it was a message that absolutely, radically changed his life. let me ask you this question what is the message of Christ worth to you because for Paul it was everything it was worth everything so he's he's there he's preaching the message of Jesus he's arrested by the message of Jesus it was polarizing people the message of Jesus was polarizing people it either pushed people to the Jesus uh, 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 way which is what they called it back then the way It pushed them towards the way, pushed them towards having a relationship with Jesus, or it pushed them so far to the opposite that they absolutely despised it. Kind of similar to how it is today. So Paul has been arrested. He's brought before several different leaders, Felix, Festus, and King Agrippa. Now Paul begins to share his story, his past, one that should have disqualified him, as he sits or stands before King Agrippa. And that's where we pick it up in Acts 26, verse 4, where it says says this, As the Jewish leaders are well aware, I was given a thorough Jewish training from my earliest childhood among my own people and in Jerusalem. If they would admit it, they know that I have been a member of the Pharisees, the strictest sect of our religion. Now let me stop there, because this is part of the past that you really need to understand about Paul. Paul grew up religious. He said, I was a Pharisee if there ever was one. Meaning, if there was the poster child for what a Pharisee should look like, I was it. And these were the very guys that he was hacking off. I mean, like he was so ticked off at, the, the, the Pharisees were so ticked off at Paul, Right? They're looking at him like, you used to be one of us, now you've turned against us, and we just don't like you at all. So, that's one thing that we've learned about Paul. Now I'm on trial because my hope in the fulfillment of God's promise made to our ancestors. In fact, that is why the twelve tribes of Israel zealously worship God night and day, and they share the same hope I have. Yet, Your Majesty, they accuse me of having this hope. Why does it seem incredible to any of you that God can raise the dead? Verse 9, I used to believe that I ought to do everything I could to oppose the very name of Jesus the Nazarene. Indeed, I did just that in Jerusalem, authorized by the leading priest. I caused many believers there to be sent to prison, and I cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death. Many times I had them punished in the synagogues to get them to curse Jesus. I was so violently opposed to them that I even chased them down in foreign cities. Paul, in his own words here, is admitting being obsessed with persecuting, torturing, and killing believers. That was his past. Now think about this. He's on trial for preaching the very message that he persecuted. He's on trial for the very Jesus in the message that he tortured people for. That he actually casted his vote for some of these to be killed. If there was ever a guy whose past was too bad to be used by God, he was it. I need you to think about that statement. Because for some of you in this place, you think my past has disqualified me. Maybe not so much from attending a church and just sitting in the seat and receiving, but it has disqualified me from doing anything other than that. Can I tell you that that philosophy is hogwash? Because Paul was one that persecuted the church. He tortured people that believed in Jesus. And he even casted his vote to have them killed. So if there was ever somebody that should have been disqualified, it was him, and yet now he's the guy who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Come on. Now, Paul's past made him an underdog. Can I ask you a a question? Please don't answer out loud. But what's in your past? Like, think about this for a minute. Because for some, some of your past, you can say, man, my past is great. For a lot of us, though, our past is not so great. In fact, there's a lot of things we don't want to remember about our past. There's a lot of things that we're not proud about in our past. There's a lot of things that, honestly, if we were to share about our past, some of us would look at each other differently. Even though we shouldn't. Maybe your past isn't as dark as Paul's. Maybe you feel like, I don't really have a bad past. Have you ever been there? Like where you get into a conversation, you hear about this guy's story... I mean, it's like I I have been in ministry long enough to both have people that grew up in a believer's household, never dealt with anything, they never had a drug issue, never had an alcohol issue, never had really any issue. In fact, they were just kind of a goody two-shoe. You know what I'm saying? And I have actually been in a room with a minister who would be considered a goody two-shoe and say, man, I kind of wish I would have had a past like this other guy. That was in the drugs, were in the alcohol, had promiscuous relationships, and all the line, because it makes for a better story. Can you just, like, what? Like, what? You know, the thing about it is, is that we don't need to think about the fact that, man, my past isn't as dark as the other person sitting next to me. But the fact is, is that God uses every past that is yielded to him. I need you to hear that statement. God uses every past that is yielded to Him. Now maybe you've lived with great regret and pain because of your past. Maybe you found yourself paralyzed in relationships, your finances, or your relationship with God because of your past. You need to listen to this. If we can learn anything from Paul, it's that there's no past that's too dark that will disqualify someone from being used in the present or in the future. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. That is such a powerful verse. Such a powerful verse. Because what he's saying here is, I press on to possess the perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. Meaning... There is no way in Paul's life that I can reach perfection. No way in Paul's ability can I reach perfection. Can I tell you there's no way that Matt Donnelly can reach perfection. There's no way that I have the ability to reach perfection. I might be 100% spiritual, but you've got to understand you're still 100% person. You're 100% man. You're 100% woman. Which means you still deal with stuff. So I don't care how good of a Christian you are, how good of a goody-two-shoe Christian you are, you still deal with flesh. That's why we have to make a concerted decision every day to die to our flesh. It's a daily decision. That's the reason that Christ said, you have to pick up your cross daily and follow me because you got to die to yourself every single day. So, Paul's talking about and in, 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 in the second half of that verse is that Christ Jesus first possessed me. Think about this. You don't deserve perfection, but Christ wants to give you perfection. And the only way that he can give it to you is through himself. When we accept Jesus into our life, guess what happens? The law is fulfilled. Why? Because he stands between you and the Father. He stands between you and God. So when God sees you, he sees Christ in you, which means he sees perfection, which means Christ went and possessed you first. Now he continues in verse 13, No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Now, I know what I just said earlier. I said you can't forget the past. right? You can try your hardest, but you cannot forget your past. That is not what Paul is saying here. See, sometimes what we do is we, 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 we take what we see at face value. And when we read the Scripture, we can't just read it for face value. We can't read it for how it was translated. We have to sometimes dig through the original translation so that we can figure out what Paul was really trying to say here. You know what that word is? That word, forgetting, means neglect. So it's not that he forgets it. He just neglects it. He doesn't forget it. He just says, it's not going to have any power over me. He doesn't forget it. He just says, I'm choosing to focus on my future. I'm neglecting the past because it is what it is. I can't do anything about it. That's who I was. It's not who I am. So, he neglects the past, looking forward to what lies ahead. I press to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. You see, one of the greatest enemies to our future is our past. One of the greatest enemies that you face for the future that Christ has for you is your past. Because you don't neglect it. You allow it to stay alive. You see, some can relate to a sin-filled past. Others may have a past that is littered with abuse or broken trust that isn't your fault. So you see, there's some of you that your past is your own doing. You did it to yourself. Others have a past of abuse and broken trust that it isn't necessarily your fault, but yet you found yourself in that. But we must learn to overcome our past, whatever that may be, however it may have happened. We have to learn to overcome our past or it will always hold power over us. We have to learn what Paul learned and that is to neglect it. We must learn to overcome our past and leverage it or it has the potential of becoming a lid to what God can do through us in the future. You see, the enemy wants to use your past to hold you back. But God wants to use your past to influence others for His glory. I know we've had a hard weekend, but are you alive today? Like, I just want to make sure. Okay. We have to learn to leverage our past. You have to learn how to leverage it because it's not going away, so you might as well figure out how to leverage it, right? So, Paul makes a transition in Acts 26 from clarifying his past to declaring his present and future. Now, it's in this that Paul gives us the secret to unlocking our past hold on us and leveraging it for our future. Continuing in Acts 26, in verse 12, it says, One day I was on such a mission to Damascus. So, such a mission to Damascus, he was still persecuting, still torturing, still casting his vote for death. And that's what he was on his way to Damascus to do. And so he was on this mission, armed with the authority and commission of the leading priest. And about noon, your majesty, as I was on the road, a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shone down on me and my companions. Verse 14, we all fell down. And I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is useless for you to fight against my will. Verse 15, who are you, Lord, I asked, and the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one whom you are persecuting. So let me give you a couple of things to help us and help you and myself overcome and leverage our past the first one is is that we have to have an encounter moment we have to have that moment like paul had where he fell down because he was overwhelmed by what was happening because he was having an encounter with jesus overcoming our past begins with a life-altering moment a moment when we realize that how we've been living isn't pleasing to god Or maybe how we've been living isn't the right way to live. Or maybe the way that we've been living is not exactly where I need to be living because I've allowed the past to keep me paralyzed, to keep me in a certain state of mind, to keep me in a certain spot, and I cannot move. So overcoming our past begins with this life-altering encounter with Jesus. Now, I grew up and. Uh, like we all do, because we all grow up, right? And um, unfortunately, sometimes I wish I could still be a kid. Um, isn't that funny how that works? Like where you're a kid, you just like are yearning to be an adult. Like I tell my kids all the time when they say, oh, I want to be an adult. I'm like, no, you don't. And then I feel like I'm my mom or my dad at that moment saying what they said to me. Be a kid as long as you can, right? So, you know, I grew up and you know i had I, for, the, for the most part i had a great upbringing i really did you know um i did deal with my parents going through divorce you know so i dealt with that which was not a very common thing back then but it happens and so it happened and so i had to go through that i dealt with the very real outcomes of what that entailed i mean like i, I was i was mad i was angry uh, uh you know just all these things punching out windows i mean i was doing all kinds of crazy stuff you know And so then uh, I was about to go into junior high school um, and my aunt on my dad's side, so my dad's sister, invited me to come to a youth camp. She said, I'm going to pay your way. You're going to come to this youth camp. So I came to the youth camp. I cried the whole time. I'm like, you know, a 12, 13-year-old kid and I'm crying all the time which was new for me because I didn't cry so I was like I don't know what this is all about this is crazy right and I would say I had an experience with God I won't say I had a full encounter but I had an experience with him there was that was my first true like touch of, of, of feeling something God oriented right and so then like I end up going living with my grandparents through junior high and uh, that was my first time, like, consistently going to church week in and week out. Like, I mean, we went to church. I mean, it was Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I mean, like, how many nights do we go to church? Like, I mean, my goodness, it was, like, crazy. But it was it was awesome, too, all at the same time. So I had that experience. And then when high school came, I, I, I made the decision that I was going to move with my mom. And so my mom got involved at this church. And so um, now... Let me back up. My grandparents were Southern Baptists, so that was the church that I went to when I was with them. My mom had chose to go to a spirit-filled church. Two totally different environments. Let me just put it to you that way. And so uh, I remember the first time I walked in there. And so uh, I go up to uh, uh, the, her, her, her place. And I say that with quotes. It's her place, right? And so like we go up there, and she introduces me to this couple that sits in the front row, Uh, right? Because she was on the second row. She would have been on the first row if these people, that wasn't their spot. But anyway, so there they were. She introduces me to them. They seem like nice people. They seem normal, like which was awesome, right? Well, service starts and then all of a sudden this lady just busts out with like a message in tongues. Like, I'm just like, I'm just like, oh my goodness, like what in the world has just happened? Like this lady went from being normal to now I don't even know what's going on, right? And then she like stopped, and then everybody just stopped. They were all quiet, and then somebody clear across the other room, because it was a large church, started like speaking in English. And then I'm like, well, that's cool, because now I can actually understand, but it still freaks me out that all these other people are speaking. What about the guy on stage? Like, I mean, like, it was just wild to me. It was my first experience of Spirit Field, but it was still an experience. So then I got involved with youth group, and I was like the model youth group kid, but there was nothing going on on the inside. I was just a model. And then, like when I went to college, it was like I sold uh, uh, my my wild oats. I mean, like it was just like uh, for for a year and a half, it was like prodigal son, go out in the wilderness type moments. And then I remember coming back, um, because I had scholarships to go to school. I was at Louisiana Tech. And uh, because of the lifestyle that I was living, it caused all my grades to go, like, to to nothing. I lost scholarship money. I was actually getting paid to go to school, which that was kind of cool. Of course, I really wish I would have realized that when I was in that moment, but I didn't, and so then I squandered everything. And so then I lost everything. And then I found myself living with my grandparents again. They were like, how many times do you have to live with us, right? I mean, like, so I go and live with them again, And, um, you know, through a series of events, I find myself where I'm alone. I'm completely alone. I have lost all friends because what I thought were my friends were really not my friends. And so, like, without going into detail, like, it was just a horrible experience, and I lost all my friends. And so here I am. I'm in the middle of nowhere outside of West Monroe, Louisiana. And I'm like, God, what am I doing? And the only thing I could think of in that moment is I got to go to church like I just came to this moment I have to go to church so then I used this criteria for finding a church because this is when the internet was like really coming on strong right so I said and then the yellow pages some of y'all don't even know what that is but it used to be this thing that was actually a book that had phone numbers in it and you actually had to search things out in through categories it was a wonderful tool I don't know where it went I guess it's Google now But the thing about it is, is that, like, so I thumbed through to churches, and my criteria was, is what church has a website? I would never encourage you to get a church based on if they have a website or not. Just saying. But I did. And so there was only one church in the Yellow Pages that had a website. And it was, um, uh, um, um, uh, White's Ferry Road Church of Christ. Okay? Uh, okay. It, it, it does have a claim to fame because that's where the Duck Dynasty guys go to church, okay? So, like, so uh, I find this church on the web, right? And so I'm like, that's where I'm going. So I'm working at Regents Bank at the time. And so I leave work and I go and I'm going to find it because I need to know where I'm going on Sunday. I don't want to be trying to find because you don't have GPS back then. Like, like you had, uh, what, what was the, what was the, uh, MapQuest, it was MapQuest back then. And you had to put it in and then print it out. Okay, so like that's where I was, MapQuesting. And so like, uh, so I drive up to this church and it's Christ Church. So I'm thinking, well, maybe they just decided to, to flip the words around. Instead of Church of Christ, it's Christ Church, right? So like Christ Church. So Christ Church. And it had this big dove on it. I was like, oh, I feel at peace. So yes, this is where I'm going to go. So I decide to go there. So I drive into the parking lot. I'm not even able to get out of my car. Like, I am so scared to death to get out of my car because I'm alone. Like, I don't know anybody, right? Then I notice like, a a, a friend of mine that I went to junior high with. Okay, now this is like, I'm six years removed from, from junior high now. I don't even know if this guy will still recognize me. But I'm like, oh my goodness. So I jump out of the car. and I'm like, Andre, Andre, it's you, Andre. And he's like, oh my goodness, who is this lunatic you know no i'm just kidding but he was like hey matt how's it going and i was like man now i have somebody to sit with and he goes well i actually play on the worship team and i'm like oh no no i need to go back to the car but he's like i'm gonna let i'm gonna introduce you to this family and you can sit with this family can i tell you i don't even know who this family is to this day i don't even know who the family is but they treated me like i was a part of their family enough to let me sit next to them and as soon as i took my seat and the first note played Like, my life has never been the same. I can't tell you what songs were sung. I can't tell you what the message was. All I know is is that I had an encounter with Jesus that day. I had been in church for several years at this point, and I had an encounter that day. I had a past that I thought was going to disqualify me from doing anything, and yet it was in this moment that God took all of that. And it was in one encounter. One encounter totally changed my life. If I don't show up that day at this church, I ain't standing right here before you. This church isn't here before you right now. It was that moment that God changed everything about my life. See, that's the kind of encounter that Paul had. That's the kind of encounter you probably have had, for some of you in his place, but for some maybe you haven't had that encounter moment. Can I just encourage you with this? Get alone, seek God. Get alone and seek God. Because God rewards those who diligently seek Him. You see, here's the, here's the equation. You seek God equals you find God. One moment can change your life. That one moment. Oh, by the way, that wasn't White's Ferry Road Church of Christ. It was a totally different church. Can you imagine if I would have showed up there? I don't know. I don't know what would have happened. But God led me to the place that I needed to be at the time I needed to be there, and it changed everything. Whether you know it or not, Check this out. Whether you know it or not, God is constantly drawing you with hopes of having an encounter with you. So you might not even be looking for him, but he's always looking for you. John 6, says, For no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. And at the last day, I will raise them up. That word draw is the Greek word helko, which means to drag. God literally is dragging you, whether you know it or not, to come to Him. He just wants to drag you. He's going to do whatever He can. But guess what? we got to respond. we got to respond. Ephesians 1.18 says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance as His holy people. By the way, Paul wrote that verse. He says that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. You know what happened when the sun shone down on him on that Damascus road? He went blind. His physical eyes went blind, but his spiritual eyes were enlightened and everything changed. And listen... You might be sitting here going, well, man, I don't really know how God's drawn me. Hey, check out Romans one twenty. He says, "For ever since the world was created, this is another Paul verse, by the way, for ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see His invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. You see, God's drawn you at all times. Whether He's drawing you to be in a place like this, or He's drawing you by creation that's out all around us, He's always drawing you. He's always trying to drag you to Him. Now, I know that sounds horrible, but listen, He knows what awaits people that don't know Him, which is separation from Him. So what does that drawing look like? It's the Holy Spirit in your life. It starts with conviction. That day when I was at Christ church, the reason that I broke is because I was convicted about the life that I was living. And then, you know, conviction is not where you stay. But then you go to an awakening. Now, this, this actually all happened to me all in one moment, one service. It happened, all three of these things. So it, it, it was, it was um, conviction. Then there was an awakening that happened. I was awakened to things that I I had never experienced before in my life. Like, God can really love me. God can really speak to me. God can really do something inside of me. Man, and then I was awakened, and then, man, I left that day with new desires. I left that day with new desires. I didn't care to drink another ounce of alcohol. I didn't care to do any of that stuff all I cared about was, is give me some Jesus. I just needed Jesus. The the like like It, it was to the point to where when I showed up, I, I showed up to church the next day in the youth pastor's office. I mean, like, dude, you got to put me to work. I just want to do something for Jesus. If that means I set up the chairs, I set up the chairs. It doesn't matter. You want me to sweep the floor, I'll sweep the floor. You want me to clean the toilet, I'll clean the toilet. I don't care. I'm doing it for Jesus because Jesus is something that is so real to me right now. It was a moment that changed everything. You will never realize the future that God has planned for you until you have an encounter with God that changes everything. It's time to stop living under the weight of your past and be changed by a God encounter because one moment can change everything. As the keys come back up, here's the second one. And this is the one that I think all of us need to hear. All of us. All of us. Number 2, you can't keep a bad man down. You cannot keep a bad man down. Check this out in Acts 26:16. Now get to your feet. This is Jesus talking to Paul, or Saul at that time before he had his name changed. He said, "Now get to your feet, for I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and witness. Tell people that you have seen me and tell them what I will show you in the future." He said, now get to your feet. One of the biggest tools Satan will use against you concerning your past is condemnation. You see, Satan can't create anything. He perverts things. You know how he perverts conviction? Condemnation. You see, conviction produces change. Condemnation produces shame and leaves you where you're at conviction produces change that takes you places condemnation produces shame that leaves you where you're at and that's good enough to write down hey listen Jesus wanted Paul to get to his feet because he knew there was no time for condemnation in Paul's life you see Paul he could have been knocked down by Jesus you see, that's what a God encounter does. He knocks you off of the place that you're in in life because he needs to grab a hold of your attention. But he doesn't keep you on the floor. He tells you to get up. You don't need to stay and waller in that. It's okay. That's what conviction does. It makes you feel sorrow for a moment, but joy comes in the morning. You've got to realize that your past does not determine your future if you don't allow it to. See, the religious world of Paul's day thrived on condemnation and guilt. When someone made a mistake, they loved to point it out. They love to degrade them, make them live under the weight of that condemnation. It's not much different today. You know, we got, we got people in ministry that fall left and right for one decision that they make or another. And all we want to do is point the finger and say, I told you so, or doesn't really surprise me. You want to kick them while they're down. I mean, when a celebrity screws up, we almost want to throw a party for it because we're just like, man, they finally getting what, what's to them, you know? We thrive on that kind of stuff. It's like we want to see other people fall to make us feel better for our own failures. You see, we must be willing to let go of the condemnation and the guilt that try to keep us down. Can I ask you a question? What condemning voices are you living under right now in your life? You see, the key to replace the condemning messages with truth is the truth of who Jesus says that you are. See, condemnation tells you a lie and tries to tell you you're one way while Jesus is trying to tell you you're a different way. Who are we according to Jesus? Because when you study the New Testament, you begin to discover who we are in Christ that we're friends of God, that we're beloved. That were precious, that were highly esteemed, that were known, that were more than conquerors. You realize that's who you are in Christ? So are you are are you living under the definition of your past, or are you living under the definition of Jesus? The more we know about who Jesus says we are, the less we believe who our past says we are. He says, now get to your feet, for I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and witness. Tell people that you have seen me and tell them that I will show, that I will show you in the future. He says, I've appointed you. Man. Wait, wait, are we talking about the same Paul, the one that persecuted and tortured and, 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 and put his boat in for death for people who believed in Jesus? Jesus, are you, are you re- do you really have the right guy here? Now you're going to appoint him to be your mouthpiece? You're going to appoint him to, to be what takes your message to the Gentiles? I mean, are you crazy? And here's the third and last thing. Paul's pain and past became his platform. Paul's pain and past became his platform. You see, Paul's past positioned him to be used by God in the future. Because, I mean, I don't know about you, but if I'm a Gentile struggling with whether or not I need to believe in Jesus or not, and then I got a guy who was like persecuting the very thing, and now his life has totally been changed, and now he's preaching to me about this guy, like that's some real stuff, right? Like I got to know it's real. You see, God wants to use the pain, the brokenness, and the darkness of your past as the platform for your future. Your past has the potential to become your greatest platform if you allow Jesus to take it, transform it, and leverage it for His glory. I mean, that's what Paul wrote about in Romans eight twenty eight when he said, for all things will work together for the good to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. You know, do you think Paul was thinking, man, God can even take my past, as bad as it was, and turn it into something that's actually good? Yeah, he can. Because I love him. And because I'm called according to his purpose. And because our Father in heaven, this God that we serve, he's a good God. You see, some of you need to stop cursing your past. You're so busy being angry at your regrets and mistakes that you're forfeiting the power in them to be transforming agents of the Spirit in the lives of other people. You need to stop minimizing your past or trying to pretend that it doesn't exist or that it didn't happen. Because check this out. minimize pain is pain that will still have control over you. A minimized past is a minimized platform. Stop minimizing and start surrendering your past to Jesus. Now, Paul never bragged about his past, but he never minimized it either. Listen to me. He never bragged about his past, but he never minimized it either. Your past is part of what makes you an underdog through whom God wants to do big things. So you've got to have a God encounter, right? Right? You got to have that encounter with Jesus you got to get up you got to get on your feet don't live in condemnation and then you got to have this revelation that your pain and your past can become the very platform that God uses in your future now what was the results for Paul listen to this in verse 17 of 26 And I will rescue you from both your own people and the Gentiles. Yes, I am sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. Jesus told Paul that his past had the power to turn people from darkness to light. how ironic that one person's darkness, when yielded to God, can bring light into someone else's darkness. You see, when we surrender our dark past to Jesus, refuse to live under condemnation, and embrace our appointment, God will actually use us to help others find acceptance in a place in God's family. As you stand all over this place, I finish with this, that our pain creates space for other people. Did you hear that? Our pain creates space for people. You know, sometimes we don't want to live in pain. Sometimes we don't want to even live in the pain of our past. Today, I just want you to understand surrender your past to Him. Yield it to God and see what He will do. Because your pain and your past is what God wants to use as your platform.